Well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll open it up to John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. And I'm going to begin reading from verse 16, or actually 15. Jesus speaking, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. And I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Now I want you to go quickly over to chapter 15. Beginning in verse 26. But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceed from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now go to chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away... The Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The title of my message tonight is His Presence Within. And uh, you probably got a good idea as to what I'm going to be talking to you tonight. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, this subject is very vast, and we can spend hours, days, and weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. We can talk about the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. We can talk about the fruits of the Spirit. We can talk about the baptism in the Holy, in the Holy Spirit. But tonight, I want to focus more on the person and presence of, of the Spirit of God. And the reason why I want to focus on that was an experience I had about maybe two or three weeks ago. Now, how many of you have ever had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Amen. So this isn't the first time, certainly not the last time, but there was just something about this experience that really left an impression in me. About three weeks ago, I was... It was late at night, and I was sitting in front of my laptop, and I was you know, preparing my notes for tonight. And, um, and I was working and getting my notes together, and I started getting a little tired, so I figured, okay, it's time for go to bed, so let me just shut it down, and let's just go to bed. So I did that, and I left my uh, laptop on the dining room table where I was working. And, um, and I have this routine before I go to bed every night where I gather all my little things together, you know, like my keys, my wallet, and all these things, and I place it in one spot so I'll know where it's there. So when I get up in the morning, it's there, and I don't have to worry about forgetting it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, we all have those little routines. And so I go through this every day. It's a little ritual I go through every night. But the only problem is, is that I had everything but my wallet. And so I looked all over the place for my wallet, and I couldn't find it. I looked in the bedroom, I looked in the living room, I looked in the dining room, nothing there. So I had to retrace my steps. And I remember the last time I had my wallet was in my car when I was ordering some coffee uh, at Dunkin' Donuts. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, praise the Lord. 
Yeah, for Dunkin' Donut drinkers. Praise God. And so that was the last time I remember having my wallet. And so I go into the car. And I looked into the car. I looked inside. I couldn't find it. I looked alongside, outside the car, along the curb. Couldn't find it. I went back inside the house. I was looking all over the house. I went upstairs. I went downstairs. I still could not find it. Now, normally, if I misplace my wallet, I usually, by this time, I find it. But I couldn't find my wallet. So I was getting a little concerned. So I went back outside one more time. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. There was no place to be found. I just didn't know where it was. So I started thinking, okay, it's getting late. So I'll do this in the morning. Uh, my thinking was that I'll go back in a car. It would be daylight. I'll be able to see. If it's alongside the curb underneath the car, I'll be able to see it. But if it's not, then I'm going to have to call the credit card company and shut everything down. So this is my thinking. So I go to bed. The problem was I couldn't sleep because I kept thinking about my wallet. Now, at this point, I was a little concerned. I was starting to get a little bit worried because now I'm thinking somebody must have found it and took it. So, and if they had it, well, they're probably going to have a great time with my credit card and everything else. And so now I'm thinking, now I'm worried and I'm a little concerned. So I had no rest. I had no peace. All of a sudden, this still small voice began to speak to me. And he said, get up and go look into the dining room table, uh, dining room area again. And when I heard that, I began to argue and says, but where in the world in the dining room could it be? I've looked all over. Where could it possibly be? There's no possible way it could be in the dining room because I looked there hundreds of times. And I'm going over and this in my head. And in that still small voice, once again, spoke and repeated his first command. Get up and go look in the dining room, uh, in the dining room again. So I got up. The first thing I did was I got on my hands and knees, looked underneath the table, under the chair, saw nothing. I got up, and as soon as I got up, lo and behold, it was my wallet. And you see, my wallet was behind my laptop, wedged underneath, and I remembered that I did that purposely to, to elevate the, uh, the, the <laughs> laptop. <laughs> I remember I did that. <laughs> I completely forgot all about it. Now, as silly as that may sound to some of you, and even though it wasn't a major crisis, what I walked away learning from that experience was the Spirit of God was my helper. Another thing I learned about the Spirit of God, it didn't have to take a major crisis for, for Him to come and help me. The third thing I learned about the Spirit of God, that He cares even the littlest thing that concerns me, even something as silly as my wallet. And he is the spirit of peace because that night I needed peace because I could not sleep. But in the spirit of God, I found peace and rest. And, and so that really impressed me because it, it allowed me to see the spirit of God in a different perspective. Let me share something with you. Let me share this thought with you of the, of the importance of the spirit of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was across the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved across the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. 
So when we talk about the Spirit of God moving through the face of the water, that word moving is an interesting word because it means to brood over. Now, I don't know if anybody knows anything about chickens other than eating it, but chickens, hens especially, well, hens actually, what they do is they brood. They, they sort of like shake and vibrate when their eggs are about to hatch. And that was the implication here where the Spirit of God was moving or brooding over the waters because something was about to happen. My point here is that the Spirit of God had very much to do with creating the heavens and the earth. But what if there was no Holy Spirit? There wouldn't be creation. In Genesis 1 verse 26, the Godhead came together and decided to create man after creating the heavens and the earth. And he said, let us make man in our image, referring to the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But what if there were no Holy Spirit? There wouldn't be a human race. If there were no Holy Spirit, there wouldn't be a virgin birth. Because we all know that Jesus was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And if there were no Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have been victorious in the wilderness over Satan because it was the Spirit of God that led him into the wilderness in the first place to be tempted of the devil. And if there were no Holy Spirit, there'd be no Christians because we're all born of the Spirit. John 3, 5 says, except you be born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And if there'd be no Christians, then there wouldn't be any, a Bible. There wouldn't be an expected return of Christ. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I wanted you to see the importance of the Holy Spirit. How important is he? And I was really impressed by the Spirit of God because in a personal nature, we know that he is all powerful. We know that there's a gift of the Spirit. We know about the fruits of the Spirit. But do we know the person of the Spirit? One other thing that I've learned about the Spirit of God in my experience is that he was a real person. He's not some force. He's not some thing. He's a real person. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes that very clear. <coughs> Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or chapter 2. <clears throat> How do we know that the Spirit of God is a person? What makes him a person? Well, because he has all the attributes of personality, such as intellect, emotion, and so forth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, say, the spirit of man, which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, what we see here is a demonstration of the intellect of the Holy Spirit. You can bring in this house, in this church, the brightest, the most brilliant, and the most intelligent person in this world. And they still would not compare to the intelligence of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God knows more things about God than you and I do. He knows the deep things of God. He knows the mind of God. 
So that demonstrates his intelligence. We also see that he also bears personality traits as far as emotions are concerned. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. When I had that encounter with the Holy Spirit, I just became more appreciative of who he is. And now that's my goal tonight. That's my purpose. That's my desire is that you come away recognizing and becoming more aware of the presence that's within you and having a greater appreciation of what's inside of you and knowing the ministry in person and of the spirit that is inside of you every day. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, Jesus, uh, Paul says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now that word grieve comes from the Greek word lupeo, which means to make sad or sorrowful or heavy of heart. How many of you know that you can actually make the spirit sad? You can actually sadden him and cause him to have a heavy heart. Why? Because we don't respond to his voice. We don't respond to his presence. We don't respond to his leading. So obviously when that happens, the spirit of God becomes grieved. He becomes saddened. But a person shows that kind of emotion. We also see in the Bible, go with me to John's Gospel, the 16th chapter. How when the Bible describes the Spirit of God, it uses the personal pronoun in reference of the Holy Spirit. John's Gospel, the 16th chapter, in verse 13. Jesus says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, and he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he speaks, and he will show you things to come. Now, a person cannot be addressed as it or thing, but using a personal pronoun, he or she. The Spirit of God is referred to as a person because he's, he's referred to with a, with a personal pronoun in reference of the Holy Spirit. Go with me to Acts chapter 13. Give you one more example. Acts chapter 13. In the verse 2, here we have a group of uh, prophets and teachers who come together from Antioch praying and, and fasting and ministering to the Lord when the Spirit of God interrupted their prayer. And in verse 2 it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Notice that the Spirit of God spoke, referring himself in the first person. Again, the Holy Spirit is a person. And we understand that he is also an important part of our lives. We also know that he does what persons do. The Bible says that he guides us, that he teaches us, that he leads us. A thing or an it cannot do that, but a person can. So we know that the Spirit of God is a person and we know how important he is. I also want you to understand that he is also an enabling spirit. 
Jesus said that the Spirit is called the helper or the enabler. So when he indwells in us, he enables the believer to be all that God wants him to be and to do all that God wants him to do. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied this prophecy. He said in verse 26, I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you, and I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with the heart that is God-willed, not self-willed. Verse 27 says, and I will put a spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. That prophecy had been fulfilled today because we all have the spirit of God, which means also that the spirit of God will enable us to be all that God wants us to be. That's what the promise is. He is the enabler. It's, it's funny because in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says something that clearly indicates our inadequacies when it comes to doing the things of God. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So anytime we try to do something without the Spirit of God's help, we're not going to accomplish anything. But he is the enabler. He will enable us and cause us to do and to be all that God wants us to be. He's also the internal helper. In John 14, 16, I want you to go there. John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, this is when Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples. They were eating at the Last Supper, and it was the last time that he was about to, uh, the last time he was going to spend with his disciples. So they had their final meal together. And he began to break the bad news that he was going to leave them. But then he began to introduce the Spirit of God, saying, I will not leave you comfortless. And in verse 16, he says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now the word comforter, when Jesus introduced the Spirit of God as the comforter, he used the Greek word parakletos, which simply means one called alongside to help. So basically what Jesus was saying was, I will send you another helper. Okay, And again, the, the, the disciples were upset, they were grieved, they were sad because they've been with him for three years. And everything they needed, Jesus provided for them. And now he was about to leave them. But he says, I'm going to leave you someone else to take up where I left off. So Jesus knew that after his resurrection, that the, spirit, that, that the disciples were going to need some supernatural power to carry out the work that he was called to do, that they were all called to do. He knew that, and he knew that the only way they can do that is by drawing on the power of the Spirit of God, to rely on this enabling internal presence of the Spirit of God. But again, here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to see. When the disciples were lonely, Jesus was there to encourage them and be their friend. When they were down, Jesus was there to pick them up. When they were discouraged, Jesus was there to encourage them. When they were afraid, Jesus was there to protect them. Now all of a sudden, he's leaving. 
And the only thing that's probably going through their minds is, if you're leaving, who's going to help us? Because they become so dependent on the Lord Jesus that everything, everything they needed, Jesus had provided for them. And I lost my train of thought. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. So when the disciples heard that Jesus was leaving, Jesus was simply trying to tell them, the helper that I'm sending to you is just like me. He says, I'm going to send you another helper. That word another is an interesting word because it's a Greek word that says, it means alos. It means someone of the same kind. In other words, what Jesus was trying to convince them that when I leave, the person that's going to take my place is going to be just like me. In other words, when the Spirit of God came, it doesn't mean that we've got to get less of Christ. But we're going to get exactly who Christ was. In other words, what Jesus was simply saying is, all that I am, you will receive by the Spirit of God. In other words, you're not losing anything. You're not getting any less of me. If anything, you're going to get more of me. That's why Jesus says in uh, John 14, verse 12, greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Amen. Amen. And so Jesus was trying to simply convince And you have to understand the disciples didn't want the Spirit of God. They wanted Jesus. And now he's about to leave. And so they knew nothing about the Spirit of God. They knew, not, they knew nothing about what the, what the capabilities of the Spirit is. They knew nothing of what it meant to have the eternal presence of God inside. At least not yet. So, now I need to explain something to you very quickly. Remember the statement that, that Pastor John made on the night that we had the healing service. He said that, I don't have the power to heal you. But what did he say? The power to heal is where? Is already in you. Isn't that what he said? If you're a believer, the best help that you have for whatever problem that you face is inside of you, not outside of you. Did you get that? It's inside of you, not outside of you. If you had a problem and Jesus, if Jesus was physically here, Standing in this pulpit, and you had a problem, who would you go to first, Jesus or the pastor? Watch yourself now. <laughs> who would you go to? Well, there's no debate there. You would go to Jesus, including the pastors. We all would be in line going to Jesus, right? So, but here's the thing. Jesus is not here. So who do you go to now? Who do you go to if he's not here? Listen, this helper that lives inside of you, he's everything that you need. You become a force unto yourself because of this presence that's inside of you. Think about this. You have an indwelling ministry going on right now, even as you sit. The Spirit of God is working constantly over time. He proved that to me because at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm looking for my wallet, and he's like my 24-hour crisis counselor. Every time there's a crisis, I know I can call on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit, 
and he'll be there to meet my need. Amen. And you all have that. So, one of the reasons why many believers don't get the help that they need <clears throat> when they're afraid, when they're lonely, when they're struggling, is because they go to the wrong person first. Now, I'm going to say something, and please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, because I'm not demeaning or dismissing anything. But your pastor is not the Holy Spirit. The Christian counselor, or Christian therapist, or Christian psychiatrist are not, is not the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself going more to the outside source rather than depending on the inside source, you're never going to fulfill or experience the full power of God in your life. Amen. Amen. And again, I'm not dismissing or demeaning the role of a pastor or a Christian counselor. They have their place. God did call them. They are part of the ministry gifts. And they are spirit-filled and they're anointed to help Christians move forward and grow and develop and to mature. But God never intended for them to replace the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Because the Spirit of God has been given to us to help us. And see, I can't get past that word, help. You know, I mean, I wish that I had, you know what, let me, let me do something here. You look like a likely candidate. Could you come up here for a second? Come on, Bill. Now, come on over here, Bill. Come on over here, right here. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to take this table and I want you to bring it over there. <laughs> right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, stop right there. Brendan, you come up here. Would you help this young man lift this table up and bring it over there? Okay, stop. Now, I need two other men, Hercules-type guys. Okay, here we got one over here. We got another one over here. Oh, no. Right over here. There's no modesty in these gentlemen, that's for sure. Okay, one, one man to go one side, the other man go the other side. And now bring this back over here. Now, see how easy that is? See, that's what the Spirit of God does. He helps. You see how important help was for Bill? Now, I'm sure that Bill could have done this all by himself. <laughs> he made a pull of muscle or something like that, but you know what? With the help of others, he was able to accomplish that goal. See, that's what the Spirit of God does. He helps us in our time of need. So, now, we know that the Spirit of God is the enabler. We know that he's a person. We know how important he is. We know, we know how much of a helper he is. But he's not just a helper. He's an ever-present helper. And again, the experience I had that night, he was there waiting to meet my need, giving me the instruction and the direction that I needed. 
And I remember looking and looking, and I said, oh, Lord, help me find this wallet. And I couldn't find it until I went to bed, and the Spirit of God began to speak to me. But see, I love the way the Spirit of God moves. I love how He works. And He came at a, at a time when I needed it. And you know, if I was to call Pastor Joseph at 2 o'clock in the morning, he may have come to my house and helped me, but, but he might. But he'd be awfully tired in the morning, that's for sure. You know, he, might, he might not even speak to me for a couple of days. But the Spirit of God will be there always, always. Now go with me to John's Gospel, the 16th chapter. Something interesting that Jesus said. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5, Jesus says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, for it is your good or for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Other translation says it would be to your advantage that I go away. Now the question I have is, why did Jesus tell his disciples that it would be better for him to leave? Now go with me to Philippians chapter 2. One of the reasons I believe that Jesus told his disciples that it would be to our advantage that he leaves so that the Spirit of God can come was because he, his deity was wrapped up or encased in his humanity or in his human flesh. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5, it says, Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. Who, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or uh, retained but stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant or slave and that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he had appeared in the human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. So basically what this passage of scripture is saying was that Jesus, who was once a part of the Godhead, or I should say God, stepped down from his position of the Godhead and took on the form of human. So now we have deity wrapped up in humanity. That means he was all God, but he was also all man. Now, Jesus says it would be to our advantage that he go away because if he goes away, then he will send the Spirit of God. Now, because, well, let me, let me use this example. No, I'll, I'll wait. Because Jesus, in his deity, wrapped up in this humanity, meant that he was limited to what he can do. Now, keep in mind, he was still God. And he was demonstrating the power of God, creating miracles and raising the dead and healing all manner of sickness and disease. But yet, in human form, he can only do it 
one city at a time, one village at a time. In other words, he can only be in one place at one time. Amen. Now, let me use this um, illustration. At the end of the service, all of you are going to go into your cars and you're going to go home. Some of you are going to go to Barrington. Some of you are going to go to Cranston. Some of you are going to drive to Providence. Some of you are going to go east and go into Bedford, Fall River, Fairhaven, wherever. You all are going home, right, after this service? Okay. Okay. Now, suppose Jesus visited us on a Sunday morning. And he stood up and he announced that he wanted to come home with us or with one of us. Now, in his humanity, he can only be in one place at one time. So let's just say he decides to go to my house, spend the day, <laughs> chill out with Pastor Mike. Now, those of you who live in Barrington, if you needed Jesus, you don't want to hear the fact that Jesus is in New Bedford hanging out with Pastor Mike. And if you were living in Cranston and you found that Jesus was in Seekonk, you don't want to hear that Jesus is over in Seekonk, especially when you know it's going to take a few days before he comes your way. Right? Do you, do you get where I'm, going, where I'm going with this? Okay. Now, if you needed Jesus, you need him right now. Isn't that correct? If I needed Jesus, I want him now. I want his undivided attention. But in order for Jesus to meet all of our needs, he would have to leave and send his spirit down to us. Because the spirit of God is not limited to time or place. And he can go home with every single one of us simultaneously. (laughs) Glory to God. So it would be to our advantage that Jesus leaves so that the spirit of God can come. So it doesn't matter if you're in South Attleboro or South Korea, the Spirit of God is going to come with you and go wherever you go. Amen. That's the, the, the wonder of the Spirit of God. And that same Spirit lives inside of us. That indwelling ministry, producing and enabling us to be all that God wants us to be. Now, the reason why many Christians live lives defeated It's not because they don't have less of the Spirit. But the Spirit have less of them. We have all of the Godhead dwelling on the inside of us. I want to show you something. Go with me to John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. As I get ready to close. John 14, verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 26. You have the Trinity in that one verse. You have the Father in the name of the Son who sends his Holy Spirit. So we have the whole Trinity involved in sending the Spirit of God to us. So if a Christian is living a defeated life, it's not because they have less of the Spirit, it's because the Spirit of God has less of them. 
Let me, let me uh, close with this last illustration. Let's say, for instance, you have a real estate problem okay, and you need some legal advice. So you call on a large uh, law firm to help you with your problem. Now, you, what you want and what you're looking for is an expert that deal with real estate laws. Okay. So you call this law firm. Now, it doesn't matter to you whether this law firm also has other lawyers with other expertise, such taxes or, or civil cases or criminal cases. All that matters to you is there at least one person who's an expert in the problem that you're dealing with, which is real estate. Okay, let's just say real estate. All right. So you make the call, and the person will direct you to that person who, has an, who is an expert in that situation. All right? Now, your call gets transferred to the right expert, and then your real estate problem gets taken care of. Now, you might be dealing with just one person, but it doesn't matter because you have the entire law firm standing behind you. The whole power and influence of that law firm will stand behind you, even though if it's that one lawyer helping you out. We have a law firm in glory. <laughs> And the firm is called the Godhead. And there are three staff members, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And if you have a problem, all you have to do is call, and he'll transfer you to the expert that will deal with your particular problem. And, he will, and you have the whole entire Godhead standing behind you, making sure that your need is met. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Ooh, that's the Holy Spirit.